Welcome to The Sleep Sessions. I'm your host, Dara Whitaker. This podcast is a place for women to share their successes and challenges of adapting to life and sleep after a new baby. Whether you're expecting your first or a mother of five, you can listen in weekly to learn, feel supported, and celebrate each other's unique experiences. If you're expecting and you're not really sure where to start with planning for postpartum, I'd love to help. My Postpartum Thrive Guide is the perfect tool to help you plan for what you'd like life to look like in the first few months after coming home with your new baby. It covers things like visitors, physical recovery, building a support team, mental health, and so much more. You can learn more on my website, thesleepsessions.co. Today I'm speaking with Cassie about her birth experience, including multiple epidural failures, dealing with postpartum depression and intrusive thoughts, and her take on the maternity leave policies in the United States. Hi, Cassie. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Can you start by introducing yourself and telling me about your family? Yeah, uh, well, my name is Cassie Young, and I am a new, well, I don't know if it's new anymore. It's eight months now. My daughter's about to turn nine months old. She's my first child um, with my husband. There are three of us. I have a very, I won't say non-traditional family, but my family is sort of spread out all over the globe. Um which is very nice in one way because it's lots of countries to visit and lots of different viewpoints and perspectives. But when it comes to raising a child, if you've ever heard the phrase, like, it takes a village, well, that village is not here. And I am very envious of my friends who do have parents in the area or aunts and uncles who can help out because that's one thing going into this that I really didn't realize would be a big asset and I was missing out on it. But, you know, it, it it's cool and we get along just fine and we're just figuring out everything ourselves as we go, as many parents do. I can relate to what you're saying because I, my husband and I don't live near either of our families and um, it is challenging because you have to learn how to trust people who aren't in your family to take care of your child and um, throw COVID into the mix and it's all just mm-hmm. all chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's difficult. Yeah, it's especially difficult, the daycare part of it and leaving your child with someone else, especially when, yes, I mean, I'm sure it's the same if it doesn't matter if it's your second, third or fourth child, but when it's your first and you're still trying to figure everything out to leave them with a total stranger when they're that young, but you have to go back to work. It's, you know, it's one of the things that actually frustrates me um, personally is that I wish I, I was very lucky. My employer is great with maternity leave. But I still wish it was longer, and I kind of wish it was mandatory in the country, you know, because I don't think until you're in it, you realize, I need more time. Absolutely, and that's exactly it. You don't realize it when when you're not having children and, you know, you're not going through it yourself. You don't really realize that maternity leave should be an issue that you're passionate about. But then once you go through it yourself, you're like, holy crap, people go back to work after six weeks, and sometimes it's not even paid it's just crazy right I I mean I was lucky I got 10 but I I used vacation as well that I had saved up but I went back and looked at previous employers of mine who called themselves who were I mean very at the forefront of like equality and you know family rights I had thought they were also healthcare related and they only got six weeks and at least they were I think they were paid six weeks And that seemed to be generous from what I had seen. And it just floored me that you have a child. What if I was a single mom? Right. Or what if what if we relied on two incomes and my maternity leave wasn't paid? 
And of course, I'm an idiot because no one tells you this beforehand. And I don't think you can research this unless you are um, happen to stumble upon it because you don't know what questions to ask until it's too late. I didn't have disability. So if my and actually my company didn't have a maternity leave policy before I got pregnant. I work for a very, very small company. And again, super lucky that my boss believes in that stuff. But, you know, when I'm not protected because it's such a small um, company under, what is it, the Family Leave Act, FMLA? Yeah. Or FLM, yeah. One of those um, that says, like, you you're, you can't be fired, but that's for organizations 50 people or more. So I was really in a vulnerable position where I had no legal recourse whatsoever. My employer could have given my job away. I could have just not had paid maternity leave. All of these things... And it just left me reeling and realizing how lucky I was to have an employer that believed in that stuff because I could have just been screwed over just because I had a child. And that is just the feelings of what I was going through. I mean, you know, pregnancy hormones, if you've ever had a child, are enough or postpartum as well. But then to sit there and I was sitting in it thinking about these moms who didn't have it as good as I did, and even as good as I did was 10 weeks using my own vacation, which is, again, quite generous by a lot of standards, but way too short. Totally. And it's something that, you know, on top of pregnancy and on top of the anxiety of giving birth and wondering what it's going to be like when you come home with a baby, you don't want to have to wonder, okay, is my job going to be there when I return? Yeah. How am I going to pay the mortgage or the rent or electricity, you know, if I'm not getting it? I'm getting disability I'm still not getting my full paycheck so what does that new normal look like yeah and how am I going to provide for this new baby yeah exactly and then I know there are people out there too which I hate is the common refrain at least you know what I have heard um, from the trolls because I do work in a very public forum where we allow comments like that was then don't have a baby. If you can't afford it, don't have a baby. If you're not ready, don't have a baby. And you're just like, when are you, are you ready? When I'm supposed to, my child is six weeks old, been on this earth for a month and a half, and you want me to hand her off to a stranger so I can go back to work? Right. Like, doesn't that seem a little off for you? It's just, I think that until you've had a child, and I hate saying this because I used to hate the people who said this, you don't fully comprehend what it's like. I agree. And you can't. I don't think there's a way that you would be able to do that without going through it yourself. Right. But, you know, it's frustrating to also not be able to impart that to somebody else to make them fully realize, like, just how difficult it is. And and people are sympathetic and some of them understand and they care. But you're like, you just, you don't get it. And I hate that you don't get it because I, I want you to understand. And I was one of those people before I had a child. I didn't fully understand. And And now I'm on that other side of that fence. Yes. Well, what was your birth experience like with your daughter? Um, uh, My daughter was very big. uh, So we decided with, well, it was the doctor's recommendation to induce labor at a certain point because she was growing so quickly and she was so big to uh, avoid her getting stuck. I forget the actual term. It's like shoulder dysplasia or something. And she gets stuck and it can be life-threatening to the baby and to the mother. So we were trying to avoid that. So I went in one uh, on a Sunday night and got induced. But apparently I had already been having contractions, which I didn't realize. Oh, that's lucky. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. But I, it also made me think like the, that Friday had been my last day at work. 
And there was a point where I had to like double over against a wall in the hallway, but I thought it was just a very strong cramp or just maybe, maybe a Braxton Hicks. I don't know. Um, but I had kind of been feeling off all weekend. So it was lucky that it was always already going, but they still gave me more to, you know, dilate my cervix and all that good stuff. And it took a very long time to get to the point of active labor. And there was a point where I asked for an epidural and then it, uh, the numbing agent that the anesthesiologist used for my back wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't working. I'm a redhead. And uh. so I think one of the things about redheads and some of the genes is that with that mutated gene, you're a little more resistant to anesthesia. So they had to give me four times the local anesthetic before I could get the big needle going in. Cause I could feel the big needle going in for the, the anesthesia. Uh. I always want to call it, euthanasia i don't know <laughs> <No>. why <laughs> so if i slip up trust me no one is trying to kill me <laughs> and so they gave it to me and then it wore off the epidural wore off i'm like again i'm guessing because of that whole redhead component so they gave me more and um i remember giving birth and it was the nurses were just amazing and the worst part was the hospital bed up until that point because again i had the epidural um was just so uncomfortable. But once I got the epidural, it was like sleeping on a cloud. And then the active labor labor began and I could feel it. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're, I'm pushing and just as hard as I can. And I just feel like everything is going to plan. Like everything is all intents and purposes good. And then I hear the doctor say shoulder. Oh, no. And I know what that means um, because that was the reason we induced early even though early was only like a few days early than her projected due date. And if you've ever seen the movie Finding Nemo, there's a scene with a bunch of seagulls where the seagulls are like, mine, 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 mine. And I forget what they're fighting over. And not to belittle or anything, the, the rest of the medical staff in the room, but as soon as the doctor said shoulder, all the nurses said, kept saying shoulder, 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 shoulder to each other. And like it's like it instigated this chain of events that they knew when they heard the word shoulder it was code for go get this do this do this so i start trying not to freak out because now i know it's serious like just hearing the word shoulder echo in my head but also aloud everywhere and knowing that it could be life-threatening for my daughter and life-threatening for me and i've always had this weird fear of dying during childbirth i don't know why i mean it's not like it's like the 16th century well, we have modern technology, but I just always feared it. And um, so that's when the doctor's like, okay, we're going to abandon the whole, you know, push for six seconds, breathe for three or whatever it was that we're doing. You're just going to push, push, push. So I'm pushing. They asked my husband to step away because until that point, he had been holding one of my feet to like help be a part of the yeah. process. And, uh, and I, I felt her come out and it felt like, it was very weird, just like a, a piece of you coming out and just dislodging. It was almost like in my head there was an audible, but there wasn't in real life. It just kind of felt like that. And it was silent. And she was purple, my daughter. Um. And the OB bounced her once on her knee, cut the cord, which my husband was going to do. Like, I think a lot of people plan that and just handed her off to a, like, a, I guess a crash team or um, a pediatric intensive key, uh, team to go to the little crash cart in the room and start working on her. And it's just the silence was deafening 
And you don't really know what that means until you hear it. And in that moment, I was like, the silence is deafening. So my husband, I'm like, go watch her. And then the OB tells me that I am bleeding heavily. Um, and she has to do extra work on me to stop the bleeding. And then a couple minutes, I felt like a couple minutes. It might have been 20 seconds. I have no idea. I hear the most beautiful cry that I have ever heard in my entire life. And she was fine, just fine. And then I, I got her and we were good from there. And apart from, you know, another episode where she decided to randomly stop breathing in the, in the hospital, which luckily a pediatric nurse caught. And so they did a few more tests. She was fine. She was really giving you some good scares there. I know, yeah. right? No sleep. It's an indicator of what's to come. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, how was your physical recovery? It was good. Um, you know, I because uh, the anesthesia didn't really stick on me so well, I was actually able to walk immediately after giving birth, um, despite the second dose of epidural meds. So that was that was nice. And I felt fine, honestly. Like, I just was like, cool, feels like an intense workout. And then the next day, I felt like I had been hit by a truck and fell down mm -hmm. the stairs. Like, it was just sore everywhere. But not in a way that was not manageable, if that makes sense. Like it just sort I just felt like I knew it was going to get better and it wasn't the end of the world. And then I was lucky the rest of the recovery. I just feel like I was able to rebound fairly quickly. That's awesome. So I, it's funny. I actually had a similar situation with my epidural where I'm not a redhead. I'm like dark blonde basically. Um, but mm -hmm. my epidural wore off three times during my labor oh my and I gosh. had to get it I had to get it um like redone three times and mm -mm. it's funny that you say that you were able to walk right away because I like after I got the the third time they redid it I could not uh -huh. feel my legs and I couldn't feel my legs for about 15 hours after delivery <laughs> 15 so I had that's yeah. insane because I had the thing where I couldn't feel my legs and I actually felt a little claustrophobic. You did. Like I was terrified and they're like, try and move your leg. And I'm like, how? And like in, in my head, my head's telling my leg to like lift up and I have to like lift up my whole body, but it just wore off so quickly. Huh. But did you have the thing where they gave you more epidural? My blood pressure then bottomed out. So they had to give me another medication. Oh, no, I didn't have that. To stop that. I didn't have that. No, I just... I mean, I was on cloud nine once I got the epidural. I was just like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> right. 15 hours. I mean, going up to it, I thought a lot about natural birth versus epidural. Um, and I, I think of myself as sort of crunchy. Um, I'm very I'm very pro-science. Uh, for me personally, pro-vaccine, you know, I, I like medicine. My dad's a doctor. My mother's a nurse. My sister's uh, an epidemiologist. So my family's in medicine. But I also believe in doing things sort of the natural way a lot of the time. Like I don't take painkillers um, unless it's absolutely necessary. Like I just broke my ankle actually this past oh, week. Oh no, I'm sorry. Um, thank you. And I'm just taking Advil because I just I, I want to make sure that stuff stays out of my daughter. Uh, but when it came to the epidural versus natural birth, I was just like, no, I'm gonna, I'm going to get the drugs. And you know what? I don't regret it for one single second. I feel exactly the same way. I tried to do the more crunchy natural route too. And then after, uh, I don't even remember, like 25 hours of labor without anything, I oh. was like, yep, I need, I need medication. Otherwise, I'm going to die. 
<laughs> 25 hours. Uh-uh. See, and I thought it might make me feel like a little bit of a failure in a way. And uh, more power to women who do natural birth. One of my good friends did. She said she wanted the experience. Um, another one was forced to because she missed the window to get the epidural. She waited too long. Uh, and I think that's fantastic. But I definitely having that epidural just made it me feel like I could focus in the moment and be in the moment and pay attention to what was going on and not be distracted by the pain. So each to their own, yes. but 15 hours of no walking. Mm -mm. I know. I know. But Hey, it was worth it. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. You alluded to this a little bit, a couple of minutes ago, but you, it sounded like you had a little bit of a difficult time when your daughter first came home. Can you share about that? Um, yeah. So it's, it's just very, I, I think when I brought her home, I had realized that I hadn't really had much experience with babies. And I thought I had, I used to babysit when I was younger, but those were always older kids. And my friends who had babies already, I didn't live near them at all. And a lot of my friend group either still doesn't have children. Some of them are still just getting married. I'm 34, um, just to give you an age range. And that's cool. Like, that's just the people that I know. So, but it made me realize, like, I'm not entirely sure I had ever even changed a diaper. I just thought I had because it just seems so crazy that I wouldn't have. <laughs> so, and it's, you know, changing a diaper isn't difficult, but if you've never done something and then newborns are so tiny and fragile, I mean, I felt like I needed a college degree to teach me how to dress her because I'm like, surely this can't be right. Her little arm is like a twig. It's surely going to snap if I try and put it in this, in this armhole of this stupid onesie that's not stretching and, you know, and they have all the fontanels and the soft spots on their head and I was just afraid to touch her. So we brought her home and she slept in a bassinet uh, next to our bed in our bedroom. And I would just wake up periodically throughout the night, like gasping <gasps> just to look at her and make sure she was breathing. And I would watch her as if she would just stop. And, you know, and maybe it's related to her birth story where she wasn't breathing when she came out and then stopped once. Um or the nurses noticed she was turning blue and that's why they did more tests on her and uh, took of her observation. But I was just afraid she was going to stop breathing for some reason. And then I think it just manifested into more of um, like these nightmares I would have where I'd wake up screaming her name because I thought I was suffocating her in the bed. I was so afraid of falling asleep with her, which uh, she doesn't co-sleep with us. She's always slept in her own bassinet or her own crib. Um, those are the only, or on us, uh, which we went through a period where she'd only sleep on us, which we got yelled at by the doctor. And I, I guess rightly so, like it's dangerous, but because you could fall asleep for those listening who don't know, you could fall asleep. And then he said that he, when he used to work in Cincinnati, had seen multiple infant deaths from suffocation by letting your child fall asleep on your wow. chest. And so- we put the kibosh on that immediately. Um, we're like, we're just gonna have to deal with it. But for some reason, I kept fearing that while I was breastfeeding in the bed, because I would take her out the bed and sit up and prop myself up and feed her, that I would fall asleep and crush her. And because there were a couple, couple times where I felt myself getting really droopy and super tired. Um, because parenting, you know, is when you have a newborn, it's a whole new level of tired. And I am very uh, well endowed and she was so tiny. So I actually had to hold 
my breast up to stop it from suffocating her and smothering her entire face until she got older, like until she was at least six or seven months old. And so I just have these had this fear of falling asleep and it falling on like my boob, basically suffocating my child while she was eating. And that just manifested into these nightmares that where I would wake up screaming her name because I thought maybe I had put her down on the bed next to me to go to sleep or I had fallen asleep with her in my lap or something like that, um, which thankfully I eventually grew out of them. And it's been a lot easier once we transitioned her to her own crib full time around two to three months. And we have a baby monitor so I can check her whenever. And But now that she is out of the bedroom, I actually feel safer. It's like I've taken the any risks or dangers out of the equation for me. I've been shaking my head, nodding along to everything that you've been saying because I felt the exact same way. I had these same nightmares where I would just wake up gasping for air, thinking that my daughter was tangled in our bed sheets or in our comforter. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very common thing that happens for new moms, especially when the baby is sleeping in your room. Yeah. And I know, and that was a frustrating thing is I know it's recommended up until, um, I think by the American Academy of Pediatrics up till a year that they sleep in the same room because it helps prevent SIDS. But then I get conflicting advice from my pediatrician who's like, no, put her in her crib, have her have her own room and space. And, you know, it's just, that's the other thing. I don't know if you've ever found that frustrating, but it just seems to me everybody has an opinion, but it's every expert has an opinion Mm -hmm. and you know usually when people have opinions I can be like well that one's a doctor and you're just a person on Facebook (laughs) so I'm gonna go ahead and believe the doctor but when it's all the doctors that don't agree I'm like well I don't know what to do y'all telling me different things the whole time so I never quite know if what I'm doing is right or not yeah and I think you just have to do what feels right to you I think you take everyone's advice and, you know, if they're a doctor, you take their advice more seriously, obviously, but um, you just kind of have to weigh what everyone's telling you and and make your own decisions for your family. Yeah, I I mean, you're right. It's just I think it's hard when your sleep is being disrupted because there's some inherent distrust of your ability to be a parent. Um, which, I mean, that's all it could be, me waking up being being afraid that I'm suffocating my child by accident because mm-hmm. I've fallen asleep on the job, literally, just speaks to me to a latent, like I had this latent distrust of myself as a mother. And so now it's almost coloring every single decision I make. And I think a lot of moms do tons of research and dads too, like on trying to figure out what the best thing for your family is. But for me, there's always that seed of doubt that I'm making the wrong choice despite being overprepared. Right. How does that impact your mental health? It's been difficult. Um, I actually have started therapy because I think I have postpartum depression, definitely some anxiety as well. Um, You know, and it's just been being with her is an absolute joy. And it's strange because it's not like typical depression like I don't sit around and I'm not trying to speak badly about depression or character or like paint it in this light but I'm not sitting around feeling depressed all the time I'm not you know unable to do normal activities like I would if I were depressed otherwise because I've been depressed in the past and it's felt that way but postpartum just feels different it's like I'm 
I'm on the edge all the time. Um, it's like I'm wired and I'm waiting for any little thing to go wrong. Um, and any bump in the night, anything in my head is something's gone wrong. You know, if I spill water on the floor in my head, is someone's going to slip on that and crack their skull open. I better clean it up immediately, even if it's just a drop. Mm -hmm. So it's this constant worry. And, and, you know, for me, I've started having uh, what are called intrusive thoughts as well, which are sometimes related to something called Puro, which is a form of OCD. So a lot of people with OCD, when you think of OCD, you think of like flipping on the light switch a certain number of times or maybe even going back to check the oven to make sure it's off. You know, rituals, uh, intrusive thoughts are sort of like you get the urges, but not the urge to act it out, if that makes sense. So you might like think about the light switch all the time, but you won't actually act it out. But what it is instead, it's like these awful thoughts. So, you know, I'll hear a bump in the night and then I'll have a whole scene in my head play out about an intruder coming in to get me and my family. And it'll be like living this horror movie and I have to have the see the whole thing play out. And that happens all the time. And it, it's been, you know, it's not something you want added on to everything when you're already trying to navigate the nuances of having a child and reconfigure what your family looks like and your daily life looks like and realizing that life will never really be the same and you knew that you knew that going into it right you knew that life was going to change but I didn't realize how drastically it would change and it's not a bad thing it's just different and it takes time to adapt and it takes time to adapt when your your schedules and your routines are all thrown off and not just thrown off. They're thrown out the window. They're done for. Yes. yes. And so on top of that, to have that anxiety and some depression and, and, and the worry and that, am I a sucky mom? Am I doing this right? Am I hurting her when I dress her? Why is she crying? I don't know. I can't figure out why she's crying. What's going on? And just reinforcing I'm an awful mom and then not being able to sleep at night and you know, when she goes through sleep regressions, you're not sleeping. And it's just every time she goes down for a nap, you're like, should I nap or should I do dishes? Should I try and clean my house? Which looks like a movie scene where the main character has been dumped and the friends come over after a week and there's like Chinese food cartons stacked up all over the coffee table. Like that's the constant state of my house and went in the early months. Um, so I guess that's a long way of saying like, your whole life is turned upside down and then you have a big heaping pile of anxiety, worry, and depression, you know, lumped on top. But you have this shining little beacon of a baby and that makes it all worth it's it. It's such a contrast. I mean, everything you're saying is so real and then you have all of those thoughts in your head, but then you see your baby and you're just so happy and, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's like nothing else and you're right. You just have no idea until you're actually going through it yourself because you don't know, you also don't know how your body's going to react to the hormones and, and the stress and the lack of sleep and, and everything that you go through. Mm -hmm. How do you work through some of the mental um, health issues that you've been going through? Uh, for me, it was really just uh, recognizing that I was at a point where, you know, I've always been an advocate of mental health, but it always mental health um, seeking help for others, weirdly enough. Like, I just didn't think it applied to me, but I didn't have see anything wrong with it at all. And I would always encourage other people to seek it out. And I think I just reached a point where I was like, I can't 
deal with this myself anymore. I can't talk myself out of these thoughts. Um, they're starting to get distracting because waking up once an hour to run downstairs and check on your daughter's breathing. And I mean, honestly, it was more than once an hour just to make sure she's still breathing when you know she is because there's no reason she shouldn't be. Like it's starting to mess with my sleep. All the conversations I have are like asking my husband to go check the oven again because God forbid, what if I left it on? And him saying, I already checked it. And me saying, please just go check again. You have to check again because if if it's on and something happens, I'll never forgive myself, you know? Um, and so I think at that point, I was like, it's time for me to go and talk to a professional to help sort through this stuff and figure out the root cause of it, um, why what's happening is happening. And that's when I started to realize too, I probably had some postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression going on um, and that's hormonal. And so those factors are, you know, they're in my body, but they're out of my control. Right. right. Well, good for yeah. you for recognizing that and going to seek help. Has it been, has it been helping you? It has Good. actually. It's been really great insight as well um, into why I am the way that I am sometimes and different ways that I can approach situations. So I don't think I realized therapy was about giving you tools as well to work through situations. I kind of thought it was just talking about feelings um, and possibly getting prescribed medication if the situation depended on it, but which is a tool in it of itself. But um, there are a lot of other tools as well that I have been getting and using. And so it's been a really, really helpful journey. And I would honestly advocate for it to any new mom, even if you don't think you have postpartum depression or anxiety or any of that stuff, because having a newborn is overwhelming or even an eight month old at this point. That's how old mine is. It's overwhelming. So it's kind of nice to have someone to talk through stuff with. Right. And, and get it out of your head a little bit. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. How has having your daughter impacted the relationships in your life, whether it be with your husband or friends or family? Um, you know, I feel like it has made my marriage maybe a little more business-like right now, um, which sounds very weird. And it's not like the love is gone or anything like that. It's just instead of our focus being on each other, our focus is on our child and making decisions for her and talking out everything, you know, the pros and cons of different routes. So the focus has shifted, but I also think that is just, I mean, the it's not like the focus will ever not be on my child, but I think it's temporary that it's 100% of the time on her. And I think eventually we'll start adding back in elements of ourselves. Um, unfortunately, because my family doesn't live in the state, we were going to go overseas to visit my grandmother and introduce her, but then the pandemic hit. And my dad and my sister came in for the birth, but my sister didn't know it. She had the flu and she gave it to my dad. So neither of them got to hold her, oh, no. hold my daughter. My mom helped out around the house for a couple of weeks. And, and then she went home early because I, th I think she, I don't, I'm not sure I felt bad because I didn't really know what to ask her to do because I was still trying to figure out what to do with my, my daughter. So she cooked and cleaned for us a ton and got to spend some time with her as well. But my, my dad, because of the pandemic, my sister still haven't held my daughter yet. Um, I haven't spent more than like five minutes with her since she's been born. So, you know, it's been, it's been frustrating, but I do think it's brought me closer to my parents at least because I can ask them questions and get their advice as a sounding board as parents who've gone through it. And I don't always take their advice, but it's a good litmus test to see whether or not something is normal and 
I mean, I'm very lucky. My dad's a pediatrician, so I call him all the time. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yes. It's really, really helpful. You don't have to wonder about things. You just have a straight text line or straight call line to get some answers. Yes. And it's nice to always have a second opinion, too. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I always agree with getting a second opinion. I think it's important because then you can you can weigh people's opinions and, and make your own. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Good. Well, do you have any tips or any resources that you wanted to share that really worked for you throughout your journey so far? Yeah, um, I think one of the things that helped me, I didn't really think much about sleep training or anything like that. I don't know. I felt like I read all these baby books leading up to the birth of my daughter about nutrition and about swaddling, like just all this different stuff you need to know about a baby. And yet somehow I missed the whole sleep training thing. <laughs> so if that is a route that you want to take, what eventually helped me is like one night I just pleaded on Instagram stories. I was like, please, somebody, I need help. Does anyone know the mom's on call? Just joking. And both of them reached out to me. Mom's on call is like a, a, a popular uh, sleep. I hate the word sleep training. Sleep I guess program. That's what it is, but yeah, sleep program. It's a great way of, of saying it. Thank you. Um, and that helped us immensely, honestly. Mom's on call and their swaddling technique. I mean, even if you're not down for the program or any of that, just Google their swaddling technique because my baby was a Houdini. She broke out of every single swaddle every time until we used the mom's on call swaddling technique and she'd be out like a light and it would work perfectly. That and the other one that I've picked up tips from time to time is a really popular one. I'm sure everyone brings up too is taking care of babies, C-A-R-A, it's yeah. her name. Uh, some really great tips there. And I just, she has such a demeanor that again, doesn't make me feel stupid or like I don't know what I'm doing. It's just sort of feels like, hi, you've entered this new chapter of life where you're going to need some extra classes. <laughs> Let me help you. And it's just nice. You know, it just makes me feel like I'm part of a community where everybody's trying to figure it out rather than I'm the one, you know, dumb dumb in the back of the class who just doesn't get it. Totally. And I loved Moms on Call, too. That was one of my biggest resources that I used with my daughter. And I actually had one of the founders, Laura Hunter, on an episode a couple of months ago. Nice. Yeah, and she is amazing. And and their program changed changed our lives with sleep for sure. It's so nice. So they want to help. That's what I loved about it. Like it didn't feel like lip service, like they cared. And I never even met them. And I just really, I appreciate people like that. Me too. Yeah, they're really awesome. Well, good. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? No, I think that's about it. I mean, I would just love to know if anyone out there knows how to deal with, you know, eight months sleep regression. <laughs> that's what we're going through right now. <laughs> but otherwise, I think, you know, I think we've been, I've been very lucky, all things considered, honestly. Good. Finally, finally starting to get the sleep back. She's sleeping through the night for the most part. I mean, can't really ask for more than that. Thanks so much for listening in. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Instagram at, at the sleep sessions.